the shadow, in the sunlight. Sing to him now. In the good, in the bad times. In the shadow, in the sunlight. It's my joy. For the sins of this world, 
hair that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet, and now at His feet we
pray with me this morning? Father, as we sing the words of that very familiar song, Lord, we don't want to sing that as just music or as lyrics that we have memorized, but God, we want to sing that as truth this morning. Father, as we think back to this week that we've had and we think of the things that you've brought us through and we think of the things that you've shown us and asked us to change, places in our life, Lord, where you want to be more involved, places where your love needs to have more of an impact, God, things that you've brought to our hearts and our minds, Lord, that's your resurrection of us on a day-to-day basis. And God, we say with truth this morning, you are resurrecting us. You are changing us. You are drawing us closer to you. You're drawing us deeper into your love. You are bringing change into our life on a minute-by-minute basis, and it's based upon who you are. So, Father, we gather here this morning, Lord, to praise you for the things that you do for us, for the ways that you pour your blessings out on us, for the changes that you ask us to make, God, for our better, for the ways that you want to help us with our families, Lord, with our jobs, with our friends, in the life of our church. Father, thank you for what you do. Thank you that you are a minute-by-minute God. Thank you that you don't just leave us alone as who we are, but that, God, you are intimately involved in who we are. And, Father, this morning, we just ask that you continue to do those things. We openly invite you, Lord, to speak to us this morning in every aspect of what today is. Father, through the worship, through the prayer, but through the time spent together with your people the time catching up in the halls between classes or as we meet and eat this afternoon. Father, thank you for your involvement with all those things. God, be with us today. So many of us bring so many things into this room that, Lord, we know you know about, but that aren't known to everyone here. God, we just pray your peace and your love on everyone in this room this morning. Continue to speak to us now, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for your love for us. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is David Smith. I was asked by Josh Huff to do the connection moment. Kind of like a little bit of a week's notice, so I don't want to throw him under the bus for that, but I just kind of just wanted to get that off my chest here really quick. Um, a big thing about me, though, is I love music. So who else here loves music? Awesome. So I figured as a point of introduction, on the count of three, I want you either to yell out your favorite band, musician, style, or genre of music. All right, really quick. One, two, three. I heard somebody say country music, and that's neither a style or genre of music, so I'm sorry <laughs> to have to tell you that. But um, So uh, my favorite band is a band called Mumford & Sons. They were really popular seven to ten years ago with their first two records. First one is Sigh No More, and the next one is Babel. Um, one of the songs that really has spoken to me recently is a song from their latest record called Delta. It's a song called Delta, and it's um, uh, a song from the songwriter's heart. They were doing some uh, work in Africa, and he really felt drawn to the kids there and so on. So it's kind of like a song about like service and love. And the really challenging questions for me that the songwriter asks is, um, like, kind of in the middle of the song, he asks this one really important question. He says, does your love prefer the other, or does your love just make you feel good? Does your love prefer the other, or does your love make you feel good? And that's just, you know, that's challenging, kind of like a gut punch already when you think about it enough. But he not only stops there, in the next set of lyrics, he asks, does my love prefer the others, 
or does my love make me feel good? And that's such a, you know, we don't like asking that of ourselves a lot of time. You know, we prefer to look to the others and you say like, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing to love others? We prefer to go that route. And it's harder to be, you know, self-critical. It's harder to be, you know, what am I doing with God's love that has been so graciously given to me? Does my love prefer the others? Or has my love just been for me? Have I held on to God's love simply for myself? And, you know, Pastor Brian brought up this really good point last week about, you know, what is this idea of the church? It's this community. It's this fellowship together. It's this, you know, mix of uh, different types of people and so on. So, you know, as a church, it's this intermingling of asking each other, you know, does your love, is your love preferring other people or has your love just, has the love been graciously given to you by God just been for yourself? But, you know, and it also inspires us to ask of ourselves, has the gracious love God has given to me been for others or has it been for, us, been for myself? So as a final kind of question I would like to ask all of us here today as a church is does our love prefer others or has our love just been for ourselves? It's a great challenge to start our day with this morning, isn't it? It really does define our faith in how we love one another. And Jesus Christ gives us that admonition and wants us to not just talk about having faith, but live it out. And we live it out by how we treat one another. So thank you, David, for those, that challenging beginning to our morning today. Uh, we've had another busy week, and we are so anxious to come on a Sunday morning and be able to say we've had a boring week. Aren't we looking forward to that, Amy? <laughs> we can't wait to be able to tell you that we've had a boring week. Uh, it's, it's, it's still a couple weeks away, I think. But uh, have you ever seen that on, on YouTube or on TV, those science experiments where the kids have those little glass containers and they pour these chemicals together and poof, all this foam blows out of it? We experienced that this week when we were packing up our moving truck. We saw this big trailer in our driveway. We thought, oh, that'll fit all of our stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like poof, everything just blew up. We'd empty a room. We'd come back 10 minutes later. There'd be more stuff in it. Like, where did it come from? It was like it was coming out of the woodwork, literally. So those of you that volunteered to help us unpack, I apologize in advance. Uh, it's going to be quite, a, quite an ordeal. But that's kind of how life is sometimes, isn't it? We, we just tend to fill it up with stuff and fill it up with things that can distract us or we think are important but end up in a closet or think that we might need someday when that day comes, we can't remember where it is that we put it, so we go out and we buy something new to replace it, and now you have two or three of the same thing. I don't think, I don't think we're alone in that. that. That seems to be something that many of us go through, uh, and we've experienced that in a very real way uh, this past week, and it's a reminder that God's been good. He's provided for us in many ways, but it's also a reminder that sometimes uh, we get distracted by things that really don't matter and can be insignificant and can overwhelm us if we allow them. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, this beginning conversation together about not allowing one another to become overwhelmed. We do that by holding one another accountable, by recognizing that we are the body of Christ. And we read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, you are the body of Christ. Each one has a part in it, each one, each one of us. 
None of us are insignificant. We have a part to play, a, a, a ministry to fulfill, a passion to pursue within this thing that God is weaving together we call the church. Now, I shared my grandmother's quilt. If you weren't with us last week, my, I have a quilt made of my grandmother's clothes. And, and I look at that, and I look at the styles, I look at the colors, I look at the fashions, like, why well, would never wear that? But yet, we're all different. We're all kind of a similar patch, if you will, that God seeing, stitches together and creates something beautiful. Now, last week, I gave at the end of our service, so we, we allowed you to come and, and select a patch of, of, of just a representation that you are part of the body of Christ to keep with you, to be a reminder that God is at work stitching you together as part of this body. And if you weren't here, we want you to still be able to do that as at the close of our service today. There, there's patches just like this on either side of the altar. We want you to take one of those with you to remind you that you're part of something bigger that God is stitching together. And I look forward to that. I got to share with our children this morning that they are a part of the body of Christ. They're not just the future church. They're part of our church today. And aren't you glad when you walked in this morning, you were greeted by just a gaggle of children? Wasn't that awesome? Can you imagine coming to a church where there are no kids? Some of you are like, oh, that'd be great. But think about it for a moment. It'd be a lot quieter, maybe. It'd be maybe less messy, perhaps. Wouldn't be maybe as chaotic at times. But to be honest, I don't want to be a part of a church with no children. I don't want to be a part of a church with no teens or no young adults. We should want and welcome what each one of us brings into the life of the church. Things don't have to go perfectly smooth without hiccups or interruptions. There's going to be Sundays where maybe the sound or the tech doesn't work. That's okay. We're going to roll with the punches. We're, here. We're not here for that. We're here to worship God. We're here to praise him. We're here to be together. Now, here's, here's what I'm thinking. There's a lot of you that I don't know your names yet, and I thank you for your grace and the, the time you're allowing us to get to know you. But I also, I have to believe that there's, even in this room, there's someone you don't know even in this room today. Maybe you don't know their name. But I encourage you, challenge you, if you're coming or staying for lunch, I hope that you do, maybe sit with someone you don't know. Find someone you've never met. Introduce yourself. Begin to share your story with one another because there's still a lot for us to learn about each other. As we learn about each other, we get to see how, how God is beautifully stitching together stories that may be completely opposite, or maybe they're much more similar than perhaps we'd like to imagine. Stitching us together into the body of Christ. It's an easy thing to think about and to picture when life's going well. But it's harder, but yet much more needed when life's not going well. You know, life can be filled with difficult times with many valleys. Life can be filled with conflicts, with confrontation. And the same God that stitches us together when things are going well is the same God that stitches us together when things aren't going well, intentionally, on purpose. For those uncomfortable moments, how do we respond? How do we react? Do we work for God's glory or for our own? When things are going well, it's easy for us to say that we're living life for God's glory. We just want to praise God. Everything's going great. Look how he's Blessing me. We'll talk about blessing in, in the days to come and how we've, uh, I think, incorrectly defined it in our culture today. Jesus is very clear in, in the Gospel of Matthew what, what a blessed life looks like. And it doesn't look like the way that we often define it. But when things are going well, it's easy for us to give him praise, to glorify him, to bring him glory, at least in our minds. But what I believe and what life has shown, what many of you have experienced is that God is most powerfully and most often glorified in our lowest moments, in those difficult times. See, his glory it means that we pursue life, we live life after pursuing his will. 
uh, pursuing his purposes, going through things that maybe we wouldn't choose to go through on our own, putting aside our own preferences and our own desires. And there will come a time when we will face conflict. We will come face to face with God and our motives and our hearts will be revealed. And what will those moments show? I'm going to be sharing with you today out of 1 Samuel chapter 4. And over these first several weeks together, we're going to be talking about how God is stitching us together. And, and last week, the first patch is, is that we are part of the body of Christ. And, and today, we're going to talk about glorifying God with our lives. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, we, we see this conflict between Israel and the Philistines. The Philistines were uh, natives, if you will, to the promised land. They were there when Israel b- was brought out of Egypt and when they crossed over the Jordan River. The Philistines were already there and, and as Israel was overcoming the natives, of you will, if you will, of the promised land, God left some of them there. And we learn in the book of Exodus and the book of Joshua that he did that on purpose, to always test his people, to make sure that they would remain faithful to him. So the Philistines, they're not liking getting pushed aside, if you will. So they keep kind of annoying the Israelites, if you will, attacking here and there, making sure that they knew that they were still around. And the Philistines are, are camped at a, at a town or village called Aphek. Now, Aphek was very important. It was on the western plains of the Promised Land, near, near the coast. And it was a very important trade route for, from the coastal areas, from the shipping ports, into the hill country of, of where Israel, where we most commonly define Israel, where Jerusalem was, where, or what would be at some point. So it was, it was a critical juncture, and it was a place that you wanted to have control of. If you had control of Aphek, you had control of trade. Two miles to the east of Aphek, the Israelites were camped at a place called Ebenezer. There's a battle, and the Israelites are shocked when they don't win. They've won all the battles up until this point, and, and they lose 4,000 Israelite soldiers who were killed that day in battle. And we read in verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 4, they says, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Why did God do this to us? Aren't we his chosen people? And they get this great idea. Well, in their minds, it was a great idea. They figured it out. Of course, we didn't bring the ark of the Lord with us. We, we didn't bring the ark, of, and this is what they call it, the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh. Now, Shiloh is where the ark of the covenant was, was being kept. That's where the priest, uh, Eli, was watching over it. And, and they say this was, let us go get the ark so that he can go into battle with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. It's curious that they use this phraseology to define the ark, the ark of the Lord's covenant. See, a covenant is a commitment that you make with one another, that we make with God. Marriage is a, a covenant that you make. It's more than a promise. It, it's more than just a, a legal agreement. It, it, it goes much deeper than that. And the covenant that God had entered, to, enter, entered into with his people was defined, if you will, or was rubber stamped by, by, by what the ark represented. See, the ark was not just a, a box, but it symbolized the presence of God amongst the people. So while they got the name right, they weren't living in covenant. So the ark itself had kind of taken on a different meaning for them. Clearly, God was not with them in this moment. And when God's not with us, defeat is always inevitable. If we're living life apart from God, there's going to come a point in our life where we're going to lose. We may be winning from a worldly perspective. From a spiritual perspective, we're always going to fall short. But they made a very flawed assumption. They thought, we need the ark. So they send men back to Shiloh. It's about 20 miles away, 
up the hill country to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Almighty, who, the, who is enthroned between the cherubim. So now they're using all the right words. They're using all the great right descriptions. And ancient, ancient traditions often portrayed kings as seated on a throne, being held up by the wings of a cherub or cherubim. Now, a cherub was a winged lion with a human head. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic. The cherub throne for Israel's king. See, God was to be their king. He was to be the object of their worship. He was the one who would guide them and direct them, who would go before them into battles, who would take care of them as long as they remained in a covenant relationship with him. See, they were making the right statement with the wrong heart. And many of us do that today. There's days even I will go through life saying the right things, my heart may not be in the right place, and I thank God for a Holy Spirit that convicts and pokes and prods and keeps us accountable and keeps us where we're supposed to be. He does that not to punish us, because he loves us. He wants us to be fruitful. So the Israelite army goes to retrieve the ark, and Hophni and Phinehas, Hophni and Phinehas, they're sons of Eli, they're sons of the high priest. Just a little bit of background, if you want to, you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 2. And here we read about the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, the preacher's kids, if you will, the pastor's kids. Scripture defines them as scoundrels. No regard for the Lord. Verse 13, we, we read in chapter 2, it was a practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, they would take a three-pronged fork and they would plunge it into the, into the, the cauldron or the kettle where the meat was being boiled and prepared for sacrifice. Whatever the fork would bring up, the priests could keep for themselves. That was kind of their payment, if you will. But what Hophni and Phinehas would do is they would take the raw meat before it was boiled, the choice cuts, before the fat was boiled away, taking it by force if, if not given willingly. And this was egregious in the eyes of God because people were bringing honest and meaningful sacrifices to the Lord and they were taking what was meant for God and keeping it for themselves. We learn later in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that God doesn't take kindly to this. And he gives a message to Eli that Hophni and Phinehas, they're going to die on the same day for what they've done. See, they were living life for their own glory and not for God's. But they take the Ark of the Covenant. They, they, they march back to, 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 to Aphek. And, well, there's quite a commotion when the Ark comes into camp. If you're an Israelite and you've been fighting and 4,000 of your friends have just died and here comes the Ark of the Lord, all of a sudden you're getting excited. Whoo, here comes the thing that's going to save us. They even refer to it as it. It has arrived, as if calling God a thing, instead of a, a person or, or an, a, a deity in which they were in a relationship with. They were looking at the ark as a good luck charm, as something that was going to save them from their enemies. Now, in the midst of this commotion, this outcry from the Israelite camp, the Philistines hear it. And they've heard stories about this God of Israel how he brought them out of Egypt and the plagues that, that were used to, to put Egypt in its place, about the crossing of the Red Sea. They've heard about the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, and they hear that the God of Israel is in their camp, and they start to get a little bit worried. Oh, no. Woe is us. What are we going to do? But then one of them takes a deep breath and says, hold on. We will not allow ourselves to become servants 
or slaves to the Hebrews. And for the first time in First Samuel, we see this word Hebrews, which was not a, a kind or, a, or an affirmative term. It was a, a term of derision that, that has stuck with, with God's people. It says, we've got to rise up and fight as if our lives depend on it because they do. There's another battle. The ark of the Lord is taken into the battle with them. 30,000 Israelites die on the battlefield that day. Hophni and Phinehas, they're killed, and the ark is captured. That's not good news. There's a messenger that escapes, if you will, in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 4, where we started today. It says, that, day, that same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and with dust on his head. He runs 20 miles up and down hills, through valleys, to share word. He goes to Shiloh because that's where the ark had been kept. And he has news to share. Now, my, my kids, my, all my kids, no matter the age, they love getting mail. Do you like getting mail? Oh, not junk mail or not bills, but like a letter or a card, a note. Some, some form of, of, of message from a loved one because it's usually good news. It's like getting mail that, that's, that's not, um, that has a real stamp on it. And isn't asking for money, but just wants to share life. We love to expect good news. We love those updates when we're anticipating something good happening. We like those phone calls when someone we know is going to share something with us. Do you remember, this will date some of us. Some of you won't even remember this because it was before you were. This thing called email became a thing. In AOL, you log into your computer, you'd hear the, the dial-up. Then you'd hear, you've got mail. you get all excited because the, the computer spoke to you and told you, you've got mail. You didn't have to wait by the mailbox any longer. It would just come on as you turn on your computer. You've got mail. Now we have instant messaging. We have text. Uh, we, we have Messenger. We have Instachat and Snapgram, or whatever this different social media applications are called. They're all out there. We, we love to communicate and receive news and share news, share pictures, share updates, share what you're going to have for lunch. I don't ever under, really understand that, sharing pictures of your food. But people do, and it's okay. But we like to share what's going on. So here we have this Benjamite. He's been in the battle. He doesn't want to go share this news, but he knows he has to. He runs 20 miles back to Shiloh. Because in the absence of technology or cell phones or social media, news that was viral was carried by foot, by messengers. Now, the people at Shiloh knew that a battle was coming. They knew that the ark had been taken for just this purpose. So they're waiting. And Eli, the high priest, is sitting in a chair on the side of the road waiting. Now, he's, he's about 98 years old at this point. He's old. He can't see. But those who could see would, would keep their eyes to the horizon. They'd be watching this to, to, for that figure to pop over the, the, the crest of the horizon, knowing that they were bringing news. And their hope would be that it would be good news, news of victory. We, we see this image in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. When Isaiah talks about uh, this phrase, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news is brought by beautiful feet. Who, those who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now Isaiah wrote this passage in response to captivity in Babylon. But, but the, the imagery 
is the same in this instance. They're watching the horizon, looking over the edge of the mountains, looking for the messenger to bring good news, news of victory, news of salvation. And there they see the messenger coming. They see him, and as he gets closer, they recognize his clothes are torn and tattered. They see that his face is covered in dirt. And they know very quickly by just the look that he carries that these aren't beautiful feet. He's not bringing good news. He first tells the townspeople in Shiloh, and there's this great cry of despair. Not just over the death of, of so many of, of their countrymen, but despair over the loss of the ark of the Lord. And Eli is sitting on his stool awaiting word and update, fearful not for his sons, but for the ark of the covenant. And the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture tells us that his heart trembled at the unknown status of the ark. He hears the uproar and he wants to know what's going on. So the messenger makes his way to Eli and tells him that the battle was lost, that 30,000 had died and that his sons, Hophni and Eli, were dead and that the ark had been taken. At news of the ark, Eli falls back off his chair. He, he hits his neck, his neck breaks, and he dies. <laughs> wow. What a great story, Pastor, you're telling today. So encouraging. Stay with me. Verse 18 of, of chapter 4, we, we read it. Eli was old and, and heavy. It's interesting that Scripture would tell us that we, he was heavy. But there's a reason for it. We learn that he was obese. That uh, he was uh, not just overweight, but, but the word used in Hebrew is kabid. And, and the word kabid, it's related to the word that's translated as honor or glory. See, Eli had gotten fat off the sacrifices that were meant to glorify God. He had taken upon himself the honor and glory that was intended for God. And see, here we see this encounter. We think it's about the ark being lost, but I think God's got, he's got much bigger plans in place, and he can work beyond us even when we think we're in control, really not. And I think in this moment, God's trying to make the point that you can't live your life for your own honor and glory. You're going to make yourself fat and overweight, and at some point in time, you're going to fall off, you're going to break your neck, and you'll be no more. Keep what's mine, leave what's mine as mine. You turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. God says to, to Eli, why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Why do you glorify yourself more than me? That will never lead to good news. It's always going to leave us wanting, longing for more. This is a tragic day. It's about to get worse. The Ark of the Lord is captured. Eli, the priest, is dead. Upon hearing news of her husband's death, Phineas' wife, who was pregnant and expecting, goes into early labor. And she has, she has complications. She gives birth to a son, but the complications lead to her death. In her last breath, we read in verse 21, she named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod. You may remember that name from the, the tale of growing up through school, uh, Ichabod Crane. But the word Ichabod, it, it, it means without glory, or where is the glory, or the glory has departed. It means to be gloryless or hopeless. But Phineas' wife here makes this very prophetic statement in the naming of her son, claiming we are a people now without hope. 
for God is not with us. Why is God not with them? Why, why, why has he, as, as they professed earlier on, they, they were more right than they realized. Why, why had God brought defeat upon them? It's not that he wanted them to lose, but he wanted them to get life right. But their focus was on themselves and not upon him. See, we, we are people of hope. We're, we're created to hope. We, we have something in us that makes us search for things to hope in, to, for someone to hope in. And we put our hope in things or in people. But on this life journey, what we come to realize and discover is that real, lasting, saving hope is only found in Jesus Christ, our loving Heavenly Father. And that church is good news. That's where the beautiful feet come into the story. And through the example of Eli, of Hophni and Phinehas, we learn that we either bring God glory or we don't. Either we're trying to glorify him or we're trying to glorify ourselves or someone else. There is no middle ground. There's no way to do one or the other or, or to switch on different days. It's we either glorify God or we don't. And we bring him glory in, in everything we do. Stay with me here. In everything we do. We're either glory givers or we're glory takers. At our place of work, we give God glory. It doesn't matter what job you have. You, you can do it to the best of your ability to bring God glory, whether you like your job or not. Just so you know, I do like my job, in case you're wondering at home. We give God glory or we take glory in our relationships with one another, how we treat one another. Husbands, how we treat our wives can bring God glory. Wives, how you treat your husbands can bring God glory. How we raise our children can bring God glory. Or it can take it. This is a hard one for me. But even in our driving, we can bring God glory. Or we can take it. That, at times, God really have the most deep spiritual conversations while I'm driving. I'm not the most patient driver. I'm a really good driver. I'm better than most everyone else out there on the road, as each one of us think, right? We all think the same thing. And where I'm going is more important than where you're going. Get out of my way. Glory givers, glory takers. In our entertaining or our being entertained, let me let that sink in for a moment. We're glory givers or we're glory takers. We read about the glory being God's, we, 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 that sounds familiar to us. And, and in the King James Version of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches disciples how to pray. And in the King James Version, we have this, this phrase that's not included in some of the other translations, but we know it well. And the Lord's Prayer says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Not most of the time, not just on certain days. The glory is yours Forever. And, and many of us were taught that version of the Lord's Prayer, and, and we, we've recited it countless times over the course of our lives. And I wonder how often, though, do we really mean it? Or do we really live it out? Similarly, as everything we do can be glory-giving or glory-taking, we can also say that everything we do can be defined as worship. Worship is more than just songs. It, it's more than just expressions. It, it's how we live our lives. Your life is an act of worship. Every encounter, every interaction, every conversation, an opportunity. Beautiful feet or dirty feet. Good news or news of despair. 
So my message for us today, or my question for us today is, are you an Ichabod? Are you hopeless, gloryless? Are you without? Or has the glory departed? See, God's not glorified in military victory. And there's a lesson for us today even in that message. But he, rather, he's glorified in the faithful hearts of his people. This narrative is less about the conflict with the Philistines and more about the conflict that's raging within the hearts of his people. That's the point he's trying to get across. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. And the story began several chapters earlier than chapter 4 with flawed priestly leaders compromising and abusing their authority and their position. Last Sunday, personally, I felt like we had a good beginning together, a good start, an exciting start. And I want you to file that away because, well, I'm going to let you in a little secret. I will disappoint you. I don't know when or where or why, but it will happen. And when it does, not if it does, when it does, when I do disappoint, I hope that you'll take out your patch that you picked up last week and be reminded that we are one body and know that when you disappoint me, that I'll do the same. I'm human, in case you didn't know that. My wife will tell you, my kids will tell you, I'm not perfect, never claim to be. Uh, only through God's grace I'm able to do what it is that he's called me to do. But know this, I don't ever want to or will I intentionally be an Ichabod. I won't come into this place of, of worship, God's house, this place of healing and of grace, and be the cause of the glory departing. But I need help with that, as each of us do. That's what the church is about. That's what the body of Christ is for. We hold each other accountable. We lift each other up. We love one another enough to call out when maybe we aren't doing things biblically, the way that God would have us do them. Now, I'm not talking about preference. I'm not talking about what we would rather see happen or desire, but what God wants us to do, what Scripture commands us to do. When we get off track, when we start to take the glory for ourselves, when we start to live life selfishly, that we'll love each other enough to have the necessary conversations that'll protect us and keep us in line with who God desires for us to be. I'll talk more about accountability in the weeks to come. But we can so quickly suck the glory out of church when we deal with our disappointments and our frustrations in non-biblical ways. There's so many churches that are struggling because they don't know how to love one another. If we can't love one another in here, how are we going to love a world out there that, quite frankly, is very much unlovable? But only through the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit can we go and share a story that makes a difference. Let's, let us not be afraid to hold one another accountable, to ask questions, and to share uh, biblical concerns when needed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Bear with, with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So the glory did not depart when Hophni or Phinehas died, or when Eli even fell over and broke his neck. The glory wasn't connected to the priest. The glory left when the ark, the manifestation of God, was treated as an object. as just a part of our life instead of the foundation of our lives. Used for personal glory. When their relationship with God became a means to personal gain or preference, bad news followed quickly. Church, we're one body brought together to bring glory to God, to grow his kingdom, 
And as one body, we are messengers uh, of good news, news of victory and not defeat, messages of redemption and stories of grace. We're witnesses of battles that have been fought and foes that have overcome. You each have a testimony of overcoming, of what God has done for you, of salvation, of sin being forgiven. And there is a world waiting by the side of the road. They don't even know it, but they're looking over the horizon, waiting for good news to come. We are those messengers. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I drove through town this week, just a little watching people. I saw many that just are desperate for good tidings, for a proclamation of salvation to learn that there's a God who reigns and who loves them. So let's commit today, as we did last week, not to be glory takers, but glory givers, to be beautiful feet, to be messengers of good news. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray together? Father, in these early days, I I just feel that you're doing some stitching and it may make us a little uncomfortable as we get to know each other, as we learn about one another, as, as we allow you, Lord, to kind of poke and prod and to reveal things to us. But Lord, you're up to something good. Amy and I have seen your hand at work for the last several months, and even beyond that, if we're to be honest. Have, and you've been putting things together, things in place for such a time as this. You've been preparing us, Lord. Even through uh, the preachings of Pastor Paul and Pastor Josh in in recent days, you've been laying the groundwork for for the direction that you have for the Marysville Church of the Nazarene. It goes far beyond what what we as pastors have in mind. You're up to something good. And Lord, we're excited to be part of that. I pray, Lord, we wouldn't take for granted our times of worship. As I heard a song as we were driving up this morning, "May, may our faith be more than anthems. But Lord, something that's lived out and practiced Something that others can pay attention to and see. Something that makes them curious. Say, what's so different about you? And Lord, help us when those moments happen to smile and say, well, have I got a story to tell you? Let me tell you about the good news. May our feet be beautiful. May we proclaim peace with our lives. May we share the message of salvation. May we be bringers of good tidings. And God, I pray that we would not be in any way in our lives be glory takers. But rather, God, glory givers. It's a phrase we use often in church, in our worship, in our conversations. But yours, Lord, is the glory, now and forever. And you will have it one way or another. And it's much easier for us if we figure it out now. So God be with us. As we, your church, continue to learn about each other, continue to learn, Father, about where it is you're sending us, what you'd have us to do, who you'd have us to be, Look for opportunities, Father, to be intentional about giving you glory, about letting others know that you are the difference in our lives. You, Father, are what matters most. Lord, there's a world, there's a community hungry for you, and they don't even know it. But what a great opportunity for you, for us, Lord, for your church, to be the messengers, to be the beautiful feet to share your good news with those who need to hear it. Father, we love you. 
I look forward, Lord, to seeing how you continue to reveal to us what it is you're stitching together. There's things I see and things yet you have not revealed. But God, you're up to something good. And for that, we give you glory. For that, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are sent people. Go as, as messengers and share the good news.